Welcome back, everybody. It is Thursday and it's during live. It's three o'clock here in California and it's, uh, it's about six o'clock out in the East Coast. And welcome to everybody who's watching. Um, we are honored today with a very special guest. Our, uh, our guest happens to be Mr. Tony Trishka, one of the world's greatest banjo players, a true virtuoso and a master of his craft. Tony has been a trailblazer and inspiration to countless banjo players over the globe for over 40 years. His recording debut came with the band Country Cooking in 1971, and since then he's recorded numerous solo albums, collaborated with countless artists, including Peter Rowan and Stacey Phillips, and even produced Steve Martin's Grammy-nominated album, Rare Bird Alert. He is a Grammy-nominated artist and winner of multiple IBMA awards, and has continued to push the boundaries on the banjo. He is also a longtime artist works teacher, uh, and a longtime Deering player and signature model artist. It is our honor and pleasure to welcome Mr. Tony Trishka. Tony, how are you? I'm great. Thank you, Jamie, so much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm blushing. Um, <laughs> now, you're out in New Jersey. Yep. Northern excellent. Jersey. Excellent, excellent. And we're also joined, with, uh, as usual, uh, Mr. David Bandrasky. David, how are you doing? All right. Good to be here. Good to be here. And you're in Massachusetts right now. So we are literally all over the country today. We are. Yep, we are. <laughs> so Tony, let's let's kick in, uh, and I, Dave's got a bunch of questions for you. But how are things? How how are things in, in the COVID situation? How are you uh, enduring under the chaos? Um, guide us through what you've been up to the last few months. I've been keeping very busy. Uh, well, for, first of all, the main thing I have my family here. Uh, of course, my wife and I are here, and uh, our kids are with us also most of the time. So um, that's really been a pleasure. And uh, banjo-wise, I've been writing a whole lot of tunes lately. Uh, it's just given me, a, which I haven't had as much time to do, you know, traveling. And I've got this Artist Works Tony Trishka School of Banjo, and that keeps me really busy, too, because people send in videos that I respond to, et cetera, et cetera. So between that and writing tunes and family, and uh, it's, it's keeping me really busy. And I've been doing a regular Thursday night thing, which this is the last of, in a way. Uh, called Quarantoni. I've done, I think, 11 of them. And we're, even though this is a Deering thing, I'm calling it on my end a Quarantoni, uh, which I've done some some of these with my son, and I've done some uh, streaming past concerts with a, my Christmas show. Last week we had Christmas in July from Joe's Pub in New York City, and uh, a Dylan show that uh, I put together uh, with my son that... Um, my wife had suggested we do because we're all big Dylan fans here, and we call it the, uh, the Early Roman Kings, which is the name of a more recent Dylan song. So anyway, just lots of things like that. So it's all, we've been hanging out pretty well here, and once the immediate danger passed, you know, things flattened out here in, in the Northeast, uh, things have gotten a little more relaxed. It's not out of the woods, of course, but a little more relaxed. Uh, yeah, we're all there. Uh, we've got a comment on the beard, too. The beard looks fantastic. Thank you very much. No, absolutely. We saw the uh, the Santa hat picture the other day on uh, on social media. That was that was a, a lot of fun. So, um, do you want to play a little tune for us to get warmed up, and then I know David will take over from there. Sure. Yeah, I'll play a little medley of tunes I recorded on my Territory album, awesome. starting with John Henry, the Steel Driving Man. Thank you. 
And that, yeah. goes, out, that goes out to Julie, who's on my side, who uh, had asked for that. So there you go. So what were all the, t- the tunes then there? They started with John Henry. Starts with John Henry, and then uh, Bonaparte's Retreat is the second one. Uh-huh. And then the third one is a tune that I wrote that I recorded and gave a name to, because you have to have a name if it's going to go on an album. Uh-huh. And I don't remember what I called it. So it's the Deering, <laughs> the Deering Break. It's the, uh, no, it's the Deering Breakdown for tonight. We'll call it that. <laughs> right. And you're, you're in detuning there, right? Yeah, I started detuning with a fist string up to A. And then I have the uh, Keith tuners here to get me up to G. Sounds great. Um, how do you kind of, what's your kind of thought process on putting together like an arrangement like that, especially, or even just starting with John Henry, because that's a you know, slightly different arrangement there. One thing I saw was the alternating thumb, kind of like a, a Delta Blues sort of thing going on. Exactly. Um, when I was a kid, I took piano lessons, then, uh, well, flute lessons, first piano lessons, then went to the guitar uh, during the folk era of the late 50s, early 60s. And I started getting to um, Mississippi John Hurt and uh-huh. uh, Dave Van Ronk and uh, anyway, some, and some Doc Watson things uh, with alternating thumb, like Deep River Blues. So after a while, I started thinking, well, you could do this on a banjo too. Not that I'm the first or only one that did it, but that for yeah. me it was just like it was a very natural thing to go to that, right. uh, and, I, and I love doing that sort of thing because it just gives you this whole other kind of a thing rather than like a Scruggs thing, which is mm-hmm. still the foundation of everything I do. Right, yeah. and it kind of works in detuning a little bit because it's, you have the, a little bit lower sound going and you have the root fifth as opposed right. to going like the higher higher root down to the fifth. So kind of yeah, you got. doing it totally through the whole thing but they go in and out of it yeah yeah Yeah. and why do you like why do those three tunes kind of fit together how how do you kind of go about making a medley you know i think a lot of people don't know maybe not where to start on just you know throwing tunes together well it was sort of throwing tunes together i i do this when i do solo shows Uh uh and if i had just played john henry that maybe that was a minute and I don't know. Right, right. A minute and thirty seconds. So to have some beef to your tune, right. put it, you know, turn it into a medley. So, sure. uh, and I really like Bonaparte's Retreat. Uh, it's just such a cool fiddle tune, and right. um, I actually had a chance to um, hang out with John Hartford. I don't remember how twenty years ago, maybe at this uh, workshop in Elkins, Virginia, the Augusta Heritage Workshop. And one night we went into this. Um, this dark, slightly darkened, you know, classroom up there. And we just played fiddle banjo duets for an hour, which is one of my fondest memories. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we played was Bonaparte's Retreat. And the very last thing, the very last part, it's like a four or five part two. And the very last part I played, I learned from him that night. He said, you know, there's this extra part that Ed Haley, this old Kentucky fiddler, um, uh, used to play. So uh, that's where the last part of that came from John. Right. Uh, so I have a fond memory of that particular section of the tune. And then I just wrote the other one and they all, they're all detuning tunes. So right. seems like they would all fit. Together. Yeah, it works, works well. Is Thank there, you. it's kind of, did you know uh, John well, John Hartford well? 
He, he seems to, he kind of comes up in almost every interview that we do uh, somewhere. It, it bubbles up. Yeah, he, um, yeah, we were pretty friendly. I, I didn't get a chance to spend a lot of time with him. I remember yeah. playing at some festival in 1973. I was in a group called Breakfast Special with Andy Statman, Kenny Kosek, and Stacey Phillips. These, you know, just wonderful musicians. And uh, we played there, and I was a big fan of John's, and I got right. the chance to talk to him, and he, he knew my album, and I was like, wow, how, how's that? You know, because yeah. he was like this big guy, John Hartford. And, uh, and we've been friendly ever well, until he passed, of course. Yeah. We're friendly. Um, I'll, I'll just tell one quick story that uh, I was playing with this local. They, they toured the country. A band, a band here in uh, in New Jersey, a jam band, and I played a couple local gigs with them. And then they said we're doing this uh, festival in Boise, Idaho. Uh, if you'd like to come along, and I thought it was a rock festival. Except he said the guy said, "Well, actually, uh, Vassar Clements is playing with us too." And I went, "Okay, yeah, I'm definitely interested." <laughs> <laughs> so I flew to Salt Lake City by myself. I was going to meet them out there, and I get to Salt Lake City, and uh, I get to the gate to switch up to Boise, and I hear someone call my name, Tony Trushko, Tony Trushko, and I look over, and there's John Hartford sitting in a wheelchair. It was the last couple of years of mm -hmm. his life, mm -hmm. and uh, I'd heard a banjo and mandolin player playing first before I heard the John, and then it was his band, and they were going to be there also, and... Pretty soon we're all just jamming there, and after about 20 minutes, uh, a Delta representative comes over and says, if you guys will keep jamming, we'll upgrade you to first class. Went, well, we were going to do that anyway, so great. Right. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, so there's nice, you know, hangs with John over the years. Yeah. Like that, yeah. That's terrific. Um, you're kind of known for, you know, uh, breaking new ground and taking risks in your plane. Um, where do you think, what part of your brain do you think that kind of stems from? Or, you know, you know. <laughs> it's part of my could... brain stem. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't really say, you know. Uh, that's a really good question. As a kid, I was um, very into surrealism, like Salvador Dali and yeah. various other surrealists, uh, especially Dali. So. You know, I, I sort of had this penchant for kind of weird things. And, um, you know, I didn't grow up down south. Bluegrass was not part of my heritage. Uh, I got into it through the folk, back door through the folk music. Um, and um, I heard the Kingston Trio do Charlie and the MTA. And, you know. And heard those 16 notes and was totally captivated and made me play the banjo. And then who do I listen to? Oh, listen to Earl Scruggs. And then right. I'm going to do it through that. Um, but I also grew up, uh, you know, my father was a college professor and my mother was uh, an intellectual. And so I grew up in this kind of uh, household listening to, they would listen to Stravinsky or Broadway shows or, you know, all sorts of different things. So I wasn't hearing country music or bluegrass particularly. Uh, and I remember I entered a a uh, the banjo contest at the very first bluegrass festival, at the first three day bluegrass festival it ever was in 1965, in Fincastle, Virginia, and the, and the judges were Ralph Stanley, Lamar Greer, who was David Greer's dad, who was playing with Bill Monroe at the time, and Bill Emerson. And I got up there with a friend of mine, 
uh, Lou Martin playing guitar behind me, and I played a version of Nine Pound Hammer that I don't remember exactly, but something like this. It was something like that. And I wish I could have seen Ralph Stanley's face as I played those, those fake <laughs> Middle Eastern modes. <laughs> I didn't win the contest, by the way. Uh, a young gentleman who played Foggy Mountain Breakdown did, though. Right. Uh, so. Right. So that's interesting. You you kind of were really influenced by the Kingston Trio um, a lot because Greg Deering uh, – he was heavily influenced by them as well. Uh, right. What was it about the Kings? You mentioned that you heard that song. Was there was there anything, was there anything else more specific, you know, they could talk about that really got you? Well, like I said, it really was. Sorry. That position, I just heard that. that yeah. Those 16 notes literally did yeah. totally turn my head around. And I you know, put the guitar behind me and took up the banjo. Right. I my parents for a long time. So <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it was really that. And I, I just was listening to the Kingston trio today. I still yeah. really enjoy that. You know, it's, I mean, in a way it's a sentimental thing, but at the same time, it's a, uh, they really had some really good things going on. You know, some of it doesn't stand up as well by today's standards, but there's some really cool things that they did also. Their banjo player, Dave guard, uh, did some really fantastic things with them. And right. I had a chance to meet him, the guy that made me play the banjo. Uh, in the '80s, I was with a group called Skyline, and I showed up at the. You know, we showed up at the gig, and our guitar player went off somewhere and came back and said, "You'll never guess who's here tonight." Who? Dave Gard, and this was in New Hampshire. He was living up there, and I got a chance to meet him and talk to him, and he introduced our second set. So that was really good. Nice. So, um, I know that you have some. Uh, we're getting some questions and things on my end. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. Definitely. These things. Uh, I want to say hello to Florida, Texas, South Carolina, California, Cincinnati, and Michigan. And Leon is asking, can you show us how you start with a simple tune and how you would embellish it to make it more interesting? Wow. Okay. Is it, can I go with this? Yeah. That's a great one. Yeah. Well, I just did that with nine pound hammer. Nine pound hammer is a good, a good song to to talk about because it's three chords. And one thing that, is uh, something I always like to stress when I do workshops is talking about playing the syllables. And that's a way, if you've played one tune the same way for like, if you've been playing banjo for a long time or for a very short time, but especially if you've been playing for a long time and you have certain ways you play certain tunes, um, like Nine Pound Hammer, I'll play it without really trying to think of how the words are or the syllables of the song. But, um, folks might recognize that as nine pound hammer but if you want to play the syllables and this is something that john hartford talked about uh he told me about it one time and and said that earl would lots of not always but lots of times play the syllables of a song so in other words you can start that way or you're actually playing the syllables so it's um sax players talk about this when they're uh, you know, playing a ballad or something, they like to know the words to the song. 
And so you can do that with nine pound hammer. With a nine pound hammer is a little too heavy for my son. That's one example, or uh, I always use this as an example also, Rolling My Sweet Baby's Arms. Earl's original solo for Mercury Records in around 1950 was something like... Uh, now, I'm not sure what this is. Except the world's greatest Scruggs lick. One of right. Right. But that's not really the melody. You don't sing rolling my sweet baby. Right, right. You want to play the syllables, and of course that's how Earl did play it. But more to the point, he would go, or you could go. Lots of quarter notes, so there's a little mm -hmm. more space in there. Right. So that's a, a way to kind of freshen up your playing. Like, what are the lyrics to this song? Because uh, I, you know, I'm listening to Flat and Scruggs. I was never listening to the lyrics. I was too busy listening to Earl, and never barely. I barely heard Lester Flat sing because I'm just, what's Earl doing? Right. But you know, they're all sorts of. It's sort of an infinite thing uh, that you can do. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to um, Nine Pound Hammer. I think that's kind of a J.D. Crow. Since we don't have any tablature or anything like that, I can't really go yeah. into the details of all that, but just throw in a little melodic lick if you're into melodic, right, yeah. which I'm deeply indebted to Bill Keith for. Um, anyway, that's, I mean, we don't have a ton of time, so that, that's just no, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great, uh, it's a great tip, you know, yeah. to, to really help you get that melody out into your plane and, 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 um, and then you can kind of go from there. Right. And it helps when you want to play in different keys too, like the key of C. Or D, or you know, yeah. It, you touched on something that you, yeah. real fast. You said that oh, that's a JD, more of a JD Crow lick. Yeah. You, real and real quickly, you know, for for the for, for, for the somebody doesn't really know what. How would you kind of explain or, or show something real signature? The difference between JD Crow and Earl Scruggs. The difference. Wow. Because you know they definitely have a. It's it's it's, it's subtle, but it's. For, 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 for your non-hyper banjo fan. But uh, I don't know that I know that I have enough J.D. Crow licks at my disposal. I've got a lot of, I've transcribed a bunch of his things, but um, he would do, I, I kind of look at him as taking Earl and then jumping off from there 
very Earl-ish, although he uh-huh. would play melodic style once in a while. Yeah. And I'll tell, well, just while I'm on the topic of that, um, no, I'll, I'll do this first. Uh, remind me, J.D., melodic style. Uh, he just did some really cool kind of bluesy things, like... You know, he would do that with Jimmy Martin a lot. That, those kinds of bluesy licks. Let me just get this. Like that. Uh, Train 45, you know, Earl would play. Something like that. And JD would maybe add the seventh. Which is a really cool yeah. lip that he came up with, kind of taking some of those blues notes. And so on and so forth. Another one yeah. that he doesn't really like a lot. syncopated sort of thing you're gonna see if you sum it up it comes more of a blues blues elements kind of throwing in there a lot more blue notes being used uh i i don't know if i would say that overall he would yeah but i don't know he would you know probably more than earl i would say but earl certainly had some blues elements in his playing i mean i wasn't all that kind of stuff Yeah, yeah um can you it? I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. It's all right. What other what other questions do we have coming in on your side? Do you have any warm up or practice exercises you recommend? Um, yeah. Um, things like um, just left hand things because we talk about. Well, first of all, I think everyone needs to use a metronome unless you're Earl Scruggs or Sonny Osborne. They never used. Metronomes, a metronome or a drum machine, something like that. Uh, especially if it's an app in your phone, that's a really good thing to do. And then put your earphones on because, or your earbuds. Timing is the most important thing. And I, I wrote this beginning banjo book years ago for Alfred Publishing. And, and I asked, after I'd written it, I thought I need some other input from other players. And I asked Bela and uh, Allison Brown and Alan Mundy, et cetera. But I asked John Hartford, what, what would you say? And he said, timing, timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And he was right. He had great time. Uh, so that's the advice he gave. So work, whatever you're doing, I mean, it doesn't have to be the entire practice time you have, but definitely spend a lot of time with a metronome because it just feels so good to get your, you know, I mean, I spent about 40 minutes before doing this right now playing yeah. with a drum machine, working various things out. Um, but one thing you can do is like... Um, Get good snap with pull-offs. That sort of thing. Like pretend you're pl- like as if you're playing a C chord, but don't play the C chord. But take the individual fingerings of the C chord 
So without fingering anything else, pull off zero to, sorry, two to zero. Like that on the first string. So you really hear the second note is being strong as the first note. And I, I'm way into the history of the banjo and like in the 1870s, I found this banjo instruction book that talked about the snap. And I'm wondering what, what's the snap? And it was the pull off, which actually is a better name than a pull off because if you're pulling down or you can push up, although on the first string I recommend always pulling down. If you don't have any other strings in the way. Maybe do it four times on each string and then your index would be on the second string first fret if you're playing a C chord. Doing that, and then you're not fretting the third string for a C chord, but fret it anyway with the middle finger on the second fret. And the same, the same thing on the fourth string, two to zero. And then you can pull off on the first string, one finger per fret. Pinky on the fifth fret, ring on the fourth fret, middle on the third, index, and then go across the strings, the second string. And getting under them so they snap. And then you can do that, uh, which is a little bit harder, pinky to ring, uh, ring to middle, middle to index, index to open. It's not fun, but it's good practice. And then you can do the same thing with hammer-ons, just hammer-on instead of pulling off. Instead of two to zero, go to zero two on the first string. That sort of thing, and the same thing over here. And your pinky's gonna be weak because that's the weakest right. finger. And this is a good exercise to kind of strengthen all the strings. These are right. basically guitar, you know, classical guitar exercises. Right, right. And then going, instead of going in the exact order, you can go three to five, two to four, that sort of thing. So anyway, and there are others, but that's uh, one thing. Another thing you can practice is it's weak going back and forth between the index and middle finger. That's mm -hmm. a weak move for most people. And so... Um, you can do that sort of thing, just... With a metronome again, you know, just doing thirds. Just index and middle. That, that's and how it. important is it on your right hand to keep both your your pinky and your ring on the head of the banjo? It's not important. And I, I'm one of the great moments of my life was having a chance to ask Earl that question. Mm -hmm. And uh, because you know everyone said, well, you know, Earl always had two fingers down on the head, but he wasn't Earl Scruggs when he was six years old. He was just Earl, and yeah. that's how we did it. Yeah. And uh, uh, I asked him about it, and he said that when he was a teenager, his brother Junie ran into this guy from Virginia who was a really good banjo player who was down in their part of the country near Flint Hill, North Carolina. And uh, Junie heard this guy play, and Junie played some banjo too. And he said, uh, oh, my brother Earl plays. Maybe you two should get together. So Junie brings this guy over to the Scruggs house, and and uh, this gentleman from Virginia plays for Earl, and Earl notices that he just has the guy just has his pinky down, not the ring. And uh, and he was a wonderful player because his ring finger went along with the middle finger, right. which various people who are watching now that might be a problem for them. And so he said, uh, and, but the guy played great. And so he said, it doesn't matter. 
whether you have two fingers, you know, you can have the pinky down or the ring. I often just have the ring down, maybe a little bit of pinky, or do it like Earl, have two fingers down. Right. Is it okay if, if one finger is moving a little bit? Yeah. One, he yeah. said that's what this guy, the guy, okay, yeah. his, the pinky was down, but the ring was going. Because it's moving with the middle finger. Because yeah. the, the tendons or the muscles yeah, are, yeah. The, the ring was going for the middle. And Earl Scruggs said it's okay. So for maybe not <laughs> right. Then it's okay. Boxing on the end of your fingers and whatever. Exactly. Don't worry yeah. about it. And as this, just because Earl did it doesn't mean you have to. And as the story goes, in the 50s, Earl would just have the strap over one shoulder. And you sounded so amazing. And people started playing like that so they could be like Earl. And then someday, one day, finally, someone asked, Earl, so why do you do that? You know, how does that help your playing? He said, well, it's easier than putting it over my cowboy hat. So <laughs> that's why he did it. So anyway. So that kind of goes into, um, you know, how, how important is it to in, in creating your own sound and having your own style as opposed to just trying to practice everything note for note tablature, just like your heroes played? Um, how important how, is it to have your own style? Is that what you're yeah, saying? Dude, how, how, how much time should people try to, how important is it or how much time should people try to focus on, on creating their own sound, you know, gain their own rather than, or, or versus just, um, you know, doing note for note playing. Uh, uh, I don't know if I could give a percentage of time. Not a percentage, but do you think it, do you think it's important that people, I, yeah. yeah. I, think, I mean, I think it's hard. It's hard to have an original sound. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause yeah. I mean, a lot of people, when you're learning, you're going to be, if you want to play bluegrass, you're okay. going to learn style. I mean, it could be Ralph Stanley, or it could be JD, or, you know, there are all sorts of newer players. But, you know, I like the idea of going back to the original players okay. and finding out what they did. And um, I've, I've transcribed so many Earl Scruggs solos, and that's right, right. how I am more comfortable doing Earl things. Uh, sorry, I'm just <laughs> getting a little note here also. But, um, yeah, I think it's really important to, uh, I think it's really, uh, there's a note here, it's encouraging words for the inept. Keep at <laughs> it. <laughs> Keep at it. You will get there. You will get there. And don't worry if you're 60 or I'm 71 now, and I'm still playing and feeling better than ever in a lot of ways. Uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with age. I have a whole bunch of people on my site that are older. Uh, you know, they, 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 uh, they played the banjo when they were in college or when they were a kid and then they had a family and a job and now they're going back to it or, or they retired, whatever it is. Uh, but just, just keep at it and uh, be of stout heart. But anyway, in terms but of... That, that kind of goes into it. Maybe you, a lot of people get hung up that they have to play just like, and they can't play like Earl or some play like some hero and they can't do it and they get very frustrated. Yeah. Um, so oh, yeah. so maybe, you just, know... Someone Especially with the banjo, other instruments don't necessarily have this stigma as much. You find, and uh, right, I mean, there are many ways to play the banjo, and don't don't get hung up if you get hung up on one thing and you're ready to you know throw yourself off the parapet. Don't do it. I had a student today write to me and said, "I'm really hung up on this D chord, and it's driving me crazy." And I said, "Just forget about it. You don't need it right now. You know, he's early on, and so just mm -hmm. let it go and move on, and then come back to it later." All right. But there, there are a million different ways to play the banjo. You know, you can play a claw hammer style. There's a classic banjo style. I could play a tune in that style. Yeah, why don't you play us a tune in a, in a different style? 
Yeah, this is actually a tune that I wrote, but I wrote it in this classic banjo style. And um, Julie Colton asks, did you ever get to Laurel Canyon? I've been there, but not in 1969 or 70. <laughs> and, and that, where all these... Doc documentaries are coming out about now and hello to Brazil, right. the UK, Maui Stanton, Virginia um, this is a banjo from um, 1883, it's a wow. Fairbanks coal banjo that I was given and I love this banjo so much and I just wrote this so I don't have a name for it yet, I may make a mistake or two because it's brand new, but let me see if I can do this Techniques. The classic banjo style is a style that dates back to um, um, kind of 1865 is when fingerpicking first started in a book on the banjo, but really kind of achieved prominence in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And um, ladies took up the banjo as a sign of refinement, of course, which is still a sign of refinement. <laughs> and um, some of the very first Edison cylinders featured banjo music by a gentleman two gentlemen, Fred Van Epps and Bess Osman. And I actually had a chance to go to the Edison Museum a couple of years ago and record a couple of cylinders playing uh, turn of the century style. Wow. But it's a three finger style and they would have triplet kind of things like this. Or playing. Having two things going on in the first string and then and there's something called the American Banjo Fraternity, and women belong to, so it's not exclusionary. But um, it's uh, and it's people that are just into the style. And then there's claw hammer, like I say. And then there's minstrel style of banjo, you know, which is where, you know, coming combining African and uh, European sounds. Right. Uh, so the very first banjo instruction books from 1855, and uh, and then just whatever your mind can come up with. And I, I recommend, I highly recommend transcribing solos, especially on your own. I mean, get the Scruggs book so you can work out of there. But also, um, uh, you know, whoever your favorite banjo players are, and you might have to wait a while, but on YouTube, on the YouTube, as the kids say, you can get, um, I didn't realize this till maybe nine months ago. Someone said, you know, you can get half speed, right. quarter speed on YouTube. And I, yeah. Wow, I wish I'd known that a while back. <laughs> now that's all I do whenever I'm transcribing anything. I find it on YouTube and do it there. And you can really hear well because you don't go down an octave and you just mm -hmm. hear it really clearly. 
And even if you're not transcribing, it's really interesting to hear what Earl Scruggs does at half speed. And for uh, people getting in the, you know, starting off transcribing, because there's a lot of notes in, in banjo playing and, uh, and, and usually at a fairly, you know, often at a, at a high clip of speed. Um, would you, what would you recommend them doing to, to bite off something that they can chew rather than trying to take a whole solo, maybe right out the gate? Um, for their first transcription, um, it, it just maybe get a lick or something. Um, yeah, you know, I recommend listening a lot. Like yeah. when I, when I was a boy, um, you know, there were no, there were hardly any books. I mean, when I started, there was the Earl, the, sorry, the Pete Seeger book, and that was mm -hmm. it in '63. Uh, a Osborne had written a book from Mel Bay, but I didn't know about that. But it was the Pete Seeger book, and there was very little bluegrass in there. It's a great book; everyone should own it. But um, I wanted to play an Earl Scruggs thing. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and so I, I listened a lot. And so I would listen to an Earl Scruggs, you know, like listen to him play Flint Hill Special or something. And I would hear uh, just some lick in there that I'd already heard in some other tune. Or like this lick from Cripple Creek. And you can, that appears in Chuck in the Corn. And it appears in a whole bunch of places. So if you're listening to some Scruggs tune, especially at half speed, and you hear that, then, oh, I know that lick, so, or this lick. And that was one of the first, the very first tune I ever learned was Lonesome Road Blues with that lick in it. And since we're on the topic, I learned it as fourth string, then the first string twice, for those of you that play that. And I saw a video of Earl doing it, and his middle finger was here on the second string, third fret. And it was a pinch with the first two strings, the same note, but it's much more powerful. Anyway, so if you hear that gliding by in a tune, oh, I know that lick there. So if you play, learn enough tunes and listen a lot, you'll just, uh -huh. even without slowing things down, oh, I know what that is. Um, but let's say if you're getting into the nuts and bolts of transcribing, and you hear Earl do that, that lick, the slide lick. Now, Two things to listen for are the fifth string and the first string. Because if you hear the first, if you hear the fifth string coming in the third position, that means chances are very good it's gonna be an alternating thumb roll, thumb index, thumb middle. If you hear it coming in the third place, or sorry, the fourth place, like that, then you have to think, okay, this is gonna be a forward roll, thumb index, middle, thumb. So I listen a lot to what the fifth string is doing or the first string, especially right. licks like this. Now hear this note at a slower speed. That flat at seventh, that B flat note at the eighth fret. So, okay, it's the fourth position is probably a backward roll. Now it's there's a forward roll taking me back right, right. Going to every detail of that lick, but listen to the first string and the fifth string and see where they where they occur, and that will help you determine what the rolls are. Yeah, that's a great tip because it's it's kind of like building a jigsaw puzzle. You kind of you know you it is. find the edges, the things that yeah. you can grasp. You don't you can't just put it together. You need to find the you know there's a strategy to it a, a little bit. Right, and, and plus once you get to know somebody's playing, then you'll recognize certain elements like Scruggs style, even though you think you know what Earl has always done, 
oh, I know that lick. Then you listen, oh, he did that. That's different. Right. Right. You know. In fact, um, we were. I went to his memorial service at the Ryman, Ryman Auditorium down in Nashville, the original home of the Grand Ole Opry. And um, the, in between speakers, Emmylou Harris was there and various people talking about Earl. And then they'd show videos, some of the Martha White videos from the late 50s and early 60s that everyone should check out. They're all on YouTube. And um, they had, right in the middle of... Um, this fiddle tune that banjo fiddle duet that Earl was doing with Paul Warren, the fiddle player in Flat and Scruggs, they're doing leather britches and Earl's doing, you know, all these great mm -hmm. Scruggs backup licks. And then about a minute in, he starts doing claw hammer. <laughs> part of the picks. And we're going, what? <laughs> Earl did claw hammer? And I talked to uh, to uh, Gary Scruggs a little while after that. And he said, yeah, he did some claw hammer and he would once in a while just go back to the two finger style that he did before he started playing Scruggs style. Just playing with two fingers instead of using the middle finger. Like on Ruben, he started playing two fingers. And then he said one time to me, you know, it's like in the movies, I got that middle finger in there. He said once in a while he would play out of this tuning. This this so called little tuning. Yeah, with the, yeah, with the second string tuned up half step to C. And I think there's one tune in the Scruggs book that does that, but it's like really. I wish I could have known that before he passed. But anyway, right, right, right. So he he was coming up with all sorts of crazy things. But uh, Don Reno, who's a lot not totally forgotten, but people aren't that familiar with him. When I was growing up, everyone talked about Don Reno. Yeah. But his style would involve um, uh, it would be something in two forward rolls or two forward rolls in something like his tune Follow the Leader. Hammer on in two forward rolls. Pull off in two forward rolls. And then instead of doing a forward backward roll like Earl might have, he went hammer on in two forward rolls. So when I try to transcribe a Don Reno thing, I'm listening for that. He may not do it, but I listen mm -hmm. for that. Right. And Don Hartford had a certain thing he would do also uh, that I don't remember off the top of my head right now. But so right. Everybody can, has their little tendencies that they do. Exactly, yeah. So in terms of de developing your own style, developing your own style, one thing I can recommend doing is just uh, free improvising. And you can be a total beginner and free improvise. And yeah. you sort of have to get past any blockages you might have about that sort of thing. Like, there are no wrong notes. You can just right. do whatever you want. And Miles Davis once said to one of his side, sidemen, uh, play what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And it's that sort of thing. So I'll give you an example of, I'll just free improvise something. Sure.
just goes on. Uh, yeah. Just whatever okay. comes out, which is, you know, based on what you know already to some extent, but then, mm-hmm. you know, just, just find some position you wouldn't ordinarily use and then open up and open up one of the strings, like the first string. Or what's the fifth string sound like with that? And that's actually a really pretty sound. See, that's a really pretty yeah, sound. Don't get hung up on what chord form you're playing. Put your fingers down there. Yeah. And when I do this, I'm not even thinking about chord. I'm just playing. I'm, yeah. not, I'm just going for it, as they say. So, it also opens up your ear, because a lot of people start to forget to use their ears. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't have to be this thing or that thing. So, or uh, I don't know if I can do this. Um, I was working on this earlier today. Here we go. Alley Cat, and the uh-huh. guy, I was reading an old bit in the, in the paper today, and the guy who wrote that, who was Danish, died a couple of days ago, and went, I should work up Alley Cat. And it's actually, it's a very simple, catchy, earworm kind of a tune, but that's... And you could write a tune out of that. You could turn it into a thing, thanks right. to Alley Cat. So, go outside the banjo, learn some Bach, <laughs> learn some Bach. Or I wor- I've worked up a Stravinsky thing on the banjo, which I can't play cold right now. But um, mm-hmm. just it's all it's it's a gigantic, endless world. So, yeah, you can play anything on the instrument. It doesn't have to be bluegrass. Yeah, because you know, many years ago, I'd, I lived in New York City for a bunch of years, and I'd walk down the street with a banjo case, and people would go, "Yeehaw!" You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, but it's not just that; it's right. a musical right. instrument. Right. We we just had while we've been uh, uh, sitting here, just reading yeah. the chat here. I know you guys are reading it too, but uh, quick congratulations to Joe Darling, who just in the last few minutes while he's been watching signed up to uh, to the Artist Works page. Oh, wonderful lessons. So okay. that's pretty awesome. We'll see you there. Thank you for doing that. Do you want to say a few words about ArtistWorks while, while we're on the subject? Sure. Um, yeah, ArtistWorks uh, was started uh, by a couple in, uh, in California, in Napa. And uh, it's, it's basically, they've got, I think, 33 different schools. There's rock, there's jazz, there's classical, there's bluegrass. There's a, a six, six of us in the bluegrass school, including Mike Marshall and Daryl Anger and Brian Sutton and Missy Raines. And... Uh, Basically, what it, it's um, when I went out to start my school, I had four days to film a hundred and I think we ended up with 150 lessons, starting from absolute beginning. Like here's how you hold the banjo, mm-hmm. here are three chords, and at the end, you know, showing folks some 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 of my stuff and some Bela things, some non Pekelny things. Um, and I've got uh, over 50 interviews there with Steve Martin and J.D. Crow and Alison Brown and uh, 
on and on, you know, Earl, uh, uh, an interview that Bale and I did with Earl. These are all videos with a couple of exceptions or a couple of audio ones with Bill Monroe and Don Reno and Snuffy Jenkins. So uh, and the, the, the main thing is that people can send in videos and I respond to them. It's not like Skype. It goes into a queue uh, and then um, within two or three days or a day, I get to them. Uh, and, and respond. You, you, they play something, and it doesn't have to necessarily be something that's in the curriculum on the site. Uh, and I th it's just a brilliant thing that these people came up with. Um, I just there you go. Have we lost you? Oh, you're. Oh boy, are you guys on it? <laughs> I thought we'd gone away. Okay. Yeah, this is a cool thing. You can see it right here. And as somebody pointed out, there is a there's an offer on right now for. Save a hundred dollars on any course, but if you come down, this is what blows my mind: is when you come down and you can get it to the beginner side. This is just level one on Tony's page, and look at the options. Look at the things that are going to be covered, all the way down. There's a just a, a unbelievable amount of resource. Uh, level two is the same thing, and it goes into level three, all time, Celtic tunes playing backup, wherever you want to do that, which right. is. It's mind-boggling to me. So yeah, and this is not a commercial plug. I want to be clear about no, that. not at all. We work with artists. Works. We have a section <laughs> on our website too. If I can plug away, it's, it's called the Banjo Players Pathway, which is with Artist Works and Tony. And you can come and see a whole bunch of different, um, more more technical tips uh, to kind of complement what you do on Artist Works as well, more than it is to replace it. They're mm -hmm. just kind of there as well. So right. there's a whole, an abundance of resource um, out there with your name on it. So which is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, I talk about melodic styles, single string, the basic styles, and and then get off into all sorts of other things too. So, yeah, uh, it's a fun thing, and I'm, I mean, especially in the situation that we're in right now. I mean, I'm just home for you know 99 percent of the time, but I can do artist works, and you can too. So, right, if, uh, if you want to get deeper into it, uh, I did have a question. Can we go longer than an hour? Or? We can go as long as you want. Yeah, yeah. do set for time. Really. Uh, someone just asked advice on how to develop speed. Mm -hmm. um, one thing I, I, I've pointed out to people once in a while, if you can do this, you know, if you can't play a whole tune really fast, just do three notes. Something like that. Or do an alternating thumb roll as fast as you can or a forward roll. And it means you are capable of doing that. Your fingers will move that fast. Mm -hmm. It's a question of doing it over an extended period of time. And there's this um, metronomy sort of thing called a uh, uh, sound. Uh huh. Sound. Let me look. I'm just spacing it. Um, one second. Don't go away. <laughs> a sound corset. That's it. Not that anyone's wearing corsets these days. And I don't know why they call it a sound corset. But it's called a sound corset, and what it is, it's one of the aspects of this. It's an app you can get on your phone, S-O-U-N-D-C-O-R-S-E-T. And whereas in the old days, you'd set a metronome at one speed, play it at a slow speed, and then, and I do recommend playing really slowly, by the way, so you can find, to make sure that you're getting every note really clear. You want, this is something that J.D. Crow talks about, uh, playing really clearly every note, which he calls... Uh, the separation of notes, not most notes, but every notes. And a lot of people, their first string will be a little, a little quiet, as opposed to. 
And some of you folks out there may have this issue. Uh, and if you play it at really slow tempos, like painfully slow tempos. You can start being aware of these things. So I, I highly recommend playing really slow tempos. And John Hartford used to say, and he learned this from Buddy Emmons, the Earl Scruggs of pedal steel guitar, play everything as slowly as you can and as fast as you can. So uh, to some extent, I would, you know, in many ways agree with that. Um, anyway, uh, I'm losing track. I knew this would happen. Building oh, speed. Building speed, thank you. Anyway, the sound corset, it has two metronomes in it. There's a, a little part of it where it looks like pan pipes. And you click on that and you can set two metronome settings rather than the old days where you'd set the metronome at one speed, play it once through the tune, then move it up one notch. And mm -hmm. play it. This does it automatically. You can set one metronome at one speed and then you can dictate how much time there is between the two metronomes. It could be a minute and a half or three minutes, whatever, and then set the next speed okay. uh, for a higher speed and play it maybe okay. start a little slower than you can comfortably play it. And then it automatically just speeds up. I did this with a tune today, in fact. Uh, I was working and it doesn't that. doesn't throw you off because you don't you know, tend learn to speed up, you know. Yeah, yeah, you speed up. It ruins. I'm tr I'm trying to ruin everyone's style. So, <laughs> no, no, uh, I, it hasn't worked that way for me anyway. I, I, I don't find that it's doing that for me, uh, but I, I find it's a really great way to work on building up speed. Yeah. Another thing that that um, Alan Mundy would talk about is play along with recordings, and rather than worrying about the left hand, just damp the strings. And somehow when you, I think rather than having part of your focus being on the left hand, you're just worried about the right hand. And you can just do an alternating thumb roll and play along with Flat and Scruggs or the Stanley Brothers or whoever, Mountain Heart, you know, anybody. And just, or do forward backward rolls or just backward rolls. And that's another thing that I think it's a little easier to play faster when you're not worried about the left hand. And just yeah. damp the strings with your left hand or if you're left-handed with your right hand. Anyways, how do you how do you wear your picks? We we recently Deering recently bought Pro Pick, and uh, we're doing a lot of pick demos, and, and uh, you know lots of pe people wear their picks in many different ways, and the, the you know the, the sizing also is different because they're putting them farther down or something. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I don't know if you can see. <laughs> so you, do you bend yours then? The I, I don't bend them much. You know, I've got it's it's very odd. I. I started using these Sammy Sheeler picks, uh -huh. and uh, uh, and I lost one of them, and so uh, I just grabbed the National pick. So right now I've got a on my index finger I've got a Sammy Sheeler pick, which I really like. They're they're very stiff. They don't bend hardly at all. I mean, you could bend it if you wanted to, but uh, and then the National I it's bent a little bit, but I like it because the the Sammy Sheeler pick is. It's a little bit longer than a standard pick, and you really get good leverage on it. And since I didn't have that other Sammy Schiller pick, I've just gotten used to it this way. But again, I don't know if anyone can see yeah. how how they are. Gotcha. Yes, that's what they're doing anyway. If that helps anybody. And what about what about um, eliminating pick noise? Oh boy, I hate that question. <laughs> I I I just live with it. Uh, it's hard. It doesn't come across when you're recording. You don't. You don't have engineers here to say what's that. What's that ding, 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 ding. Well, the main thing is to tell the engine if you're in a recording situation. Tell the engineer to have the mic not over their way. 
you know, below or behind, or uh, I actually have this engineer, Lawson White, who's my engineering hero, who uses four mics when I record and gets uh-huh. the best sound I've ever gotten. Uh, but that's another story. Uh, pick noise is hard. I saw Bela do this one time. Doing triplets on one string. And you're going to really get a lot of pick noise when you do that. And working with the metronome, just click. And Dara said, this is apocryphal, but he, he willed away the pick noise. I don't know how. <laughs> but you can find... You can find a spot. Sorry? You can find a spot where it kind of gets a little better. Yeah, and if you listen, and you may not be able to tell from this, but... You can hear it kind of comes and goes. Yeah. And so, so if it can go at all, then it means if you just spend enough time, you might be able to get to the point where you're hitting it at a certain angle. I don't know. I've, I've never taken that kind of time. But Bela, the, the re, one of the reasons amongst many that he's so amazing and so great is because he pays so much attention to all every little detail to make right. sure everything is just right. right. And that's why, you know, amongst other reasons why he's so brilliant. Sure. Um, I also want to do a shout out to Sue, who's starting banjo at 69 years old. That's great, Sue. Congratulations. That's wonderful. And yep. And uh, anyway, so that's that's wonderful. And thanks uh, everyone for your lovely artist works comments. And I, and I do love doing it. I've, after, I've been doing it for I think 11 years now. And before I forget, there uh, there was a wonderful banjo player up in Vermont named Gordon Stone, who passed recently, and he was. Mm-hmm. He was pl- he, he was a real groundbreaker also, and he would you know he played with Fish and uh, some of the guys in Fish and uh, would play in electric situations or like with a conga player and, uh, and wrote a whole bunch of tunes and he has a new album uh, that was supposed to come out just before he passed, but they, uh, right. he he passed I think it was a week and a half ago or so. But there's a memorial a virtual mem- memorial service tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and do we have something here? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm going to put the link to that right now into the chat on the feed here. So there's a Facebook events page, which is the link right. to that memorial. And that's at 8 p.m. Eastern, that's correct? 8 p.m. Eastern, right. So it's in an hour or so. Yeah, yeah and I've, I've done a little video thing for that. And I mean, it's various people sending in things to honor him because he was a wonderful banjo player and a great guy. Also a really good pedal steel guitar player. So yeah. uh, feel free to check that out. Yep, that, that link is down in the chat right now. Great. Thank you very much for that. Yes, sir. Yeah. And have you been working on a new album? I have. Uh, I've been working on it for at least 10 years now, <laughs> which is a very long, very long time. It's called This Favored Land. And... It's, it hopefully will come out in September. It looks like it's going to actually finally come out in September. Okay. I've not been recording for 10 years. Uh, <laughs> I started writing. It's, it's a, basically a Civil War-based story, and I'm not going to go into any detail on it. I all. think you actually told me about this um, about 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's taken that long. It's taken that long. Uh, but I, I wanted to, on my last album, which came out five or six years ago, uh, I wrote a song about Wild Bill Hickok, and it was. I started wanting to tell more stories and, and write lyrics, 
And so this whole album is basically lyric driven. And it's, it's a story uh, about various characters and mm-hmm. it's got all sorts of different things. There are two string quartet tunes on there nice. uh, that had, I had someone arranged for me and it's, you know, obviously some bluegrass and there's yeah. a, I wrote a, 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 I wrote, I'd say 80 to 85% of the tunes on there. And uh, there's a t- uh, one tune that features a brass band. I got an eight-piece brass band together. I, I listened to a bunch of Civil War marches, not back then, but uh, recreations. Right, right, right. Just got into the flavor of what they would sound like, and wrote my own Civil War march, <clears throat> and had a, a guy named Van Dyke Parks arrange it. And uh, anyway, so it's a whole lot of thing, you know, a whole lot of different things, and uh, I'm really glad it's finally coming out. So. Van Dyke Parks, wasn't he, he did some of the arrangement for the Beach Boys Smile album, didn't he? Yeah, he wrote a lot of the lyrics for that. He's one of my big culture heroes. In 66 or 67, he put out an an album called uh, Song Cycle, which was one of the most amazing albums I'd ever heard. And then Uh ran into someone who knew him and was introduced to him, and we've gotten friendly. And... uh, He's, he, I have an album called World Turning that he plays some piano on and wrote some lyrics for and sings on. And, uh, and again, he arranged this. So uh, it's, it's really great to meet your heroes years down the line and, and get friendly with them. Yeah. Should I've we got play, a question from a, I'm sorry, go ahead. Got, let me get one quick. Let's see. Well, I think we kind of covered this. They were talking about uh, there's plenty of books and videos Um out there methods out there it's easy to hop from one to another and it really feels like you aren't progressing much the temptation when you hit a hard patch in one source or, or get bored as you move to another i'm finding that doesn't work what is your recommendation for someone that has limited face time with an instructor but wants to learn wants to be able to eventually get together with other musicians to play so so it sounds like with limited instruction we have artist works um but it sounds like he has a, a little bit of attention a focusing issue. Is there anything you can recommend for people that keep bouncing when they get a little bit frustrated? Yeah. Well, yeah, I I wish I had the material. I have lists of these things. I mean, uh, I think there are two things we're talking about here. One is jamming. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. That's one topic. And then what do you do when you get frustrated and you hit, hit a, hit a wall? Um, well, one thing, and I got, I had this actually on the site, 11 ways to leave your level, I call it. And I don't know <laughs> all of it. Where did I get that from? Um, but one of the aspects is uh, to just do things to get you out of your, out of being stuck. One of which is, as I talked about earlier, okay, take some tune you've been playing for a million years and you play it the same way every time. Listen to the lyrics and start trying to play the lyrics. Try to play the syllables of the words. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that will give you a whole new fix on that tune that you're kind of bored with, or figure out how you're playing up the next solo for it. That's a really good thing, or play a low solo for it. In other words, if you do um, uh, Old Joe Clark, you can do it up here. But you can also do it down. You can get it all over the neck. If a tune is is predominantly, the melody is predominantly on the first string, you can also get it on the fourth string because they're both D notes. So, right. you can 
can't go to below that, but you can get the essential notes or something like Cripple Creek. You got that, so. Or John Henry. Or fourth string. Anyway, that's another yeah. thing you can do, things like that. Uh, or do some free improvising, like I mentioned right, right. earlier. That's another thing you can do. Or what I like to do sometimes is, is transcribe solos for tunes where you know the banjo part, but you don't know. Maybe you heard a fiddle break on there that you really like. Figure out what the fiddle break is. For mm -hmm. instance, I've always loved Ralph Stanley's Clinch Mountain Backstep. <laughs> You can do. But you can also, uh, you could work out the fiddle solo. I always love the fiddle solo, and the fiddle solo is. I think that's so cool, and it's something I never would have thought of. Uh, so figure out, um, I worked up Bill Monroe. Bill Monroe was an amazing mandolin player, more amazing than people realize if you slow it down to the half speed. He's doing some incredible things. So I've transcribed some Bill Monroe solos to tunes, and it just gives you a fresh outlook. Sure. Or you can, okay, let me check out some classic style banjo and do some rags, marches, and light classical music like that too, mm -hmm. on that other banjo. So there are many, many ways to kind of get out of, you know, if you're stuck, yep. if you feel stuck. And yep. we all hit plateaus. They're sort of, you know, or transcribe some Earl Scruggs solo that you've always loved. Right. There are just a million different ways to do that. And are we talking about um, jamming a little bit also? Yeah, I'll see. I think his end goal is to, uh, to eventually get together and play with people. I would suggest not eventually, but right now. I, I, um, I once asked Earl, Mr. Scruggs, that is, uh, what would you say to a beginner? And he said, play with as many different people as you can. Mm -hmm. It's not like wait two years till you're ready. Right. An absolute beginner. I said, even if they're just starting out. Yeah, absolutely. Find people to play with. Even if you're just strumming chords. And that's all you can do. Or just very simple rolls. Like right now, just play them. You gotta get in the you gotta get in the pool or in the, you know, in the water and start swimming. Yeah. You know, and and uh, you know, hopefully it's a friendly jam session and, yeah. uh, or if you have no one to jam with and that is a problem for a lot of people, uh, you can, um, there has to be someone around you who plays guitar and just have them go boom, chink, boom, right. chink, show them GC. One chord, them, you know. Or someone in your family, yeah. your spouse or something, and have them learn to play guitar. Uh, and I've all my best, almost all my best friends are through music and you'll just, it'll just open up whole worlds to you. Right. by doing that and so um you don't have to be i had a guy who was playing like bela things you know one of my students years ago mm -hmm. and, he, and he said and he was good but he didn't have quite have that loose loose like he'd been playing with people kind of thing mm -hmm. and, he, and i said you should really play with people he said no i'm not ready yet you're right. ready for goodness sake you've been playing you know right all this amazing material. stuff you right. can you can do this so anyway uh yeah, so, yeah, don't be afraid. Just go in and do it. Yeah. And if, if people are, you know, you can get some people that are a little, you know, superior. Well, I'm a great player and you're not. 
And if they have that attitude, start your own jam sessions. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to have to deal with that. Or if there's a bigger jam session, just hang out on the outside perimeter of it and just kind of be playing quietly, you know, just some backup. And to do to be in jam sessions, you really need to learn backup. Mm -hmm. You know, not if you're just getting into it, if you're just a beginner, but, you know, at least learn some simple things like that, because the larger percentage of the time you're going to have to be doing backup. Mm -hmm. uh, so you really have to be ready to do that. And, and Pete Warnick does have these Pete Warnick method of jams that has, he has people around the country and in Europe right. too, I think, that are doing that. And you could go to his website, Pete Warnick's website, and there might be a jam session near you. There's one here in New Jersey maybe half an hour from here and uh, that, you know, he'll have someone he picks who's really a good player and knows how to run a jam session. And then you subscribe to the jam session. I think you do 10 jam, sorry, right. 10 weeks in a row and you get to, you know, it's a really good thing. So Pete's done a really good job with that. That's great. Do we have other, um, any other questions from, from viewers? Um, uh, no, no, I think there's a couple more coming that way. I, I was just going to say as well, on that point on jamming as well, it's really fun when you see um, getting to places like Melfast or IBMA and you're kind of walking around and looking at all those spontaneous jams and there's always people of every experience level in, in everything. There's guys who maybe this is their first time going out jamming and right. there's guys who have been doing it for years and it's, and it's all inclusive. It's, everyone seems to kind of welcome everybody else regardless of your of your level of experience. And that's, that's just a really cool part of, I think, acoustic and, and banjo playing in general. Um, so to not be not be scared. Everyone everyone is welcoming everybody else. Yeah. I, th I mean, there, there can be people that are a little exclusionary, but for the most part, I think people are really good. I mean, there's a lot of great people in this music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's the case. And who knows when bluegrass festivals are going to come back, but they will at some point. And there are a lot of festivals that have a parking lot picking. That's a great way to start. You just go to a festival for three days, and after the last show, or even during the day, people are jamming in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. And just have your banjo with you, and hey, can I join you? And, you know, get involved that way. Um, I had a request. I should probably get off here relatively soon, but mm -hmm. I had a request for Nashville Blues. This is in the Scruggs book, and it's an amazing tune. The Earl wrote it, needless to say. I think he recorded it on something called Town and Country, one of Planet Scruggs' last albums. Another thing I just want to quickly mention is 
rather than always having to have the same amount of, ten of, of um, intensity in your right hand. When you're playing an Earl thing, you want to be strong, you know. Um, you can also vary that and move away from the bridge. Don't always feel like you have to be down here. You can go you can, and hit with a little less intensity. back and forth and I, 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 had, I was hanging out with Jens Kruger one time and he was talking about this somehow sometimes it's like um, it's a call and response like you would have in an orchestra where the horns mm -hmm. do something and then the strings do something so here's the call and response here's the call and then the response is maybe it's uh, down the valley somewhere there's a far response yeah. coming back so you're, you're over here away from the bridge and then the first one's calling out again. Yeah. That sort of thing. And he even used the example of Salt Creek. And then the response is... And uh, I just transcribed John Hartford's version of, of Aeroplane, Steam Powered Aeroplane. Uh -huh. And even though I knew this, I'd sort of forgotten that he does a lot of that varying the intensity and moving right. back and forth. It's not all just... So those are just other ways to vary things. That's a good tip. Yeah. We want to let you go, but uh, before we go, could we maybe talk just quickly about your banjo and, and, um, and the banjo bridge that's on there? Oh, this old thing? <laughs> um, well... Uh, Greg and Janet and I had been talking about having my own model banjo for a while and uh, finally came up with this thing called the Golden Clipper. And I am in love with this banjo. And the banjo is amazing. And uh, one thing, I, another thing I want to mention related to that is mm -hmm. uh, this guy, Mike Munford, who's one of the most amazing banjo players there are. He's a great banjo player, but he's yeah. arguably the greatest setup guy. I don't want to... In offend anybody there are right. a lot of great set of people he's he's in york pennsylvania or near there but he just set this up and he is really an amazing setup person and this banjo which sounded amazing all the way through sounds even better right now and this is for you folks if you can find a way to get your banjo set up if there's someone good near you or uh, i hate to be plugging it again but i have mike munford do 12 lessons on my site in the interview area on mm -hmm. setting up your banjo. Because once you get your banjo set up right, and it really sounds good, mm -hmm. it just, all you want to do is play. And that's how I'm feeling, you know, I mean, I always feel that way, but even more these days. And one thing that really helps in this case is this Deering Smile Bridge. And there's even a little smile on it. I had to pay extra for that. But <laughs> it, uh, it's something that Jens Kruger developed, from what I understand. And whereas most bridges along the bottom feet, they're all in a line. They're all lined up like that. Right. The, what, um, what Jens did is he came up with the idea, since when you put the, the, the uh, bridge on the head, the tension of the strings on the bridge, and the bridge is going to be pushing down on the head. And so there's this indentation. And so having square squared off feet it's gonna they're not going to kind of make total contact with the head so by having there's like a little arc that is uh cut mm -hmm. through the three feet 
And so that when it sits down in the head a little bit, when it sinks down in a little bit, there's total contact with the head. And I remember when I, when, uh, I was at this Banjo Camp North thing and Greg, Greg was there, Greg Daring, and he put one of these things on, or he handed it to me and I put it on. And I started playing and Alan Mundy was like 100 feet away just talking to someone and went, what's that? Because there was so, such a big sound that there had not been before. And um, I don't know, I just love this bridge. I think I can actually demonstrate it as well. I have an old bridge in front of me. Let me see if I can do this real quick. So this is this is an old bridge I happen to have on my desk. And this is, you can kind of see, if I put this flat edge on top of it. Right. Yep. I just about see light through it. Um, there you go. And it's it's curved on top because of the string uh, pressure that Tony's talking about. And likewise, the feet are now kind of curved all out of sync as well. Uh, yeah, they're not sitting right. flat on the, uh, the thing. So that's what happens to a standard bridge, hence the, uh, hence the smile. Right. But uh, and so this banjo, I just love it. Um, it's got this crazy inlay in here, which is uh, kind of psychedelic. And uh, plus it's got abalone along the sides and uh, this beautiful uh, quilted maple back on it right there and uh anyway so i'm just i'm in love with this banjo and my background is czech on my father's side and i identify with that nationality uh and so there's a guy named alfred M uh, alphonse mucha who's a art nouveau artist and i asked uh greg and janet if i could have inlays based on his designs and that's what this inlay is here so this is the Golden Clipper, which is uh, the more high-priced model, but there's a Silver Clipper without all the bells and whistles, but it's still a really wonderful banjo, which I also had sent up recently by Mike Munford. So, anyway, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tony. It was great to, great to talk with you and great to see you stay healthy, and uh, I look forward to hearing the uh, long-awaited album <laughs> in September. September, September. Yeah. <laughs> you want to play, play us out a little something, Tony? Sorry? You want to play us out with a little something? Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> well, I had a couple of requests from folks on the site, so maybe I'll kind of go through a few of these. Matt wanted Shady Grove, so I'll do that. Um, Nashville Skyline Rag, Darren wanted that. Uh, I didn't write down. Someone wanted Sally Gooden. You know, I'll, I'll try to go through a couple of these more awesome. standard kind of tunes to go out. Thank you for everybody to watching. I think we want to give a big shout out to to really all of the, the people viewing. It's been I will tell you, Tony. It's it's the uh, the most populated one we've done yet of the four that we've done. Uh -huh. uh, you have had the, um, the, the a beautiful audience watching uh, and okay. lots of praise for your for your time here. Uh, thanks to all of our customers. Thank you yeah, to everybody thanks to watching all of you for being here. Yeah, it's it's awesome to see from all over the world. So with that, Mr. Tony Trishka. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you both. Bye.